This week's episode of the Star Wars Report is brought to you by the good folks supporting us over on patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Let's do the show, folks. Come, come, come. And who might you be? It's the Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. The place for Star Wars news, features, interviews, and more. Then we can do something epic. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. Well, hello, hi, and howdy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report Podcast. I'm your host, Riley Blanton. So glad to have you back on board. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. We are nothing if not appropriate, though, here at the Star Wars Report. Isn't that right, Mr. Mark Harleman? Something like yes. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Always. Always. Never. No, uh, welcome back. It's good to have you back on the show, sir. As it's always. Good. I don't know why. No, I lost you, man. I lost you for a ro- Calling Rogue 2. The logical Rogue 2. There he is, I think. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Uh, it's, it's, oh, that's where it is. It's the, your mic's inexplicably muting on, uh, <laughs> on Skype. <laughs> I believe, I've, it was, I have no idea what it's doing. It's crazy. Are you, like, every like, time I'm, 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 I back away, I'm like, okay, it's working. Then it just mutes. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm being silenced. Oh my God, there's Imperials everywhere. Oh, they're getting close. Now, how's it going, man? It's, it's great to be back. It's, it's awesome to be, uh, sitting in the chair with the mic live and actually recording. Mm. <laughs> yes. It's ready to go. Yes. No, oh. it's, it's, it's as always. It's, I love whenever we get back together, uh, with the, with just the two of us talking Star Wars, it's a throwback. It really is. It's, some of the o- yeah. OG Bothan Report, Star early Star Wars Report era. Some of you guys know what we're talking about, um, <laughs> if you're listening. But uh, yeah, man, we've got a we've got a lot to talk about uh, in the world of Star Wars, and that's what we're here to do: is talk all things Star Wars and have a great time doing so. So let's kick things off by jumping straight into the news. We have something to report. Some closer, I have good news. Data brought to us by the Bothan spies. We can send a clear transmission. There it is. Listen, listen. Uh, let's kick it off with you, man. Uh, you actually presented this to me. I had seen some pictures of it, but you know, it's it's. Let's spice things up, change things around a little bit. We don't normally cover collecting news, but I have right? seen some pretty sweet pictures of these. So let's launch the show with this. Um, the Black yeah. Series figures the for for Rebels were announced. Yeah. Oh man, there's there's a lot more than just Rebels, but that's the one that definitely tickled my fancy because the biggest news for you collectors out there, Zeb is available in the Black Series 6-inch line. Uh, not, not just Zep, though. They're actually reproducing, or should I say repackaging, uh, the old version of Kanan, Sabine. Uh, we've got Hera. We've got Chopper. We've got Ahsoka. Uh, just in the Rebels line alone. I mean, man, that's where I got most excited because, like, I didn't get Ezra the first time around. That figure goes for about $99. Like, you're you kidding. can't find that anywhere else yeah uh but what's also cool about this is not just that you're getting these figures being put out there again is that the packaging's had an update and i don't know if you've been paying attention to that uh, images mace Mace window would be proud package uh there's 
There's also different color themes. So uh, we have a yellow for the Clone Wars animated series. So like the bottom fading of their feet kind of. What we have for Rebels characters are all purple. Empire Strikes Back is going to be in blue. Return of the Jedi is going to be in green. And of course, one of our favorites, The Mandalorian from Disney Plus, is going to be in the burnt orange tan. I I would Um, say jetpack orange. dropped $90 in pre-orders on these because I got to admit, man, like, I really like this line of figures. They're really fun to uh, be able but to pose and stuff. Let me ask you, man, if uh, the because I, whenever I hear collectors talk, I hear the the lament, not unlike the fellowship after Gandalf plunged into the depths. <laughs> I hear the lament of Star Wars collectors talking about the death of the three and three quarter line of like the pure supply. Yeah. chaos because you know i don't collect the three and three quarter line but i definitely have seen it make the rounds in social media but it seems like this is a perfect example of like this seems to be the new bread and butter for collectors it's definitely became mine and honestly i was not someone that was looking forward to that i told my wife straight up i'm not gonna do it no it's a different size it goes against everything i have yeah it's expensive it's it's pricey yeah, and, and then on top of it, the three and three quarter line uh, started going with five points of articulation, and that's what really did it for me. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was about having the figures and, and be able to pose with them and do those type of things. That's what I always got a kick out of when I opened my figures. I got a lot of them that are still in the packaging, but honestly, you don't get the same kind of value out of a figure in the packaging. Like, there is the certain type of figure that when you open it and you start to put it in poses and it just doesn't work and you're like, ah, oh, this, uh, this isn't working out. You know, you're like, I wish I wouldn't have opened this one up. That kind of, those figures are the ones that you leave in the package. Like it's worth more in the package than out of the package. And you know, Ahsoka Tana is kind of close to that because she's really hard to pose. Um, but I think for me, the thing that really moved me that direction was the five points of articulation. And then once I got one of the clones, once I got commander Cody, I was like, Oh my God, the, the, the way that the details on those figures have been, and they've just gotten better. I mean, you know, they do the, the modeling of the faces and stuff for the characters and the actors for the movies. And it's easier to do it on the bigger model than it is on the smaller model yeah um but you know they're doing some reprints and stuff like we're getting luke skywalker on hoth but this luke his helmet comes off and he's got the the little uh like the the cloth that they have underneath it on like he's flight suit ready right um and that's kind of what i wish they would do with the rebels figures you know i mean it's great that they're re-offering for people that missed them on the shelf but i wish they would add some things like kanan we could get him with the two different types of masks that he had. The one where he got after he was blinded and the, the Jedi mask that he wore from the Sentinel when he got blinded. Uh, we could see Sabine with a dark saber. I mean, there, there's a couple different things they could have just added to the packaging alone that would have made it something for people that may have already gotten these figures. Now they're like, oh, I got to get it again. And I know sometimes I may complain about that, but also it is added stuff. So, But I like the fact that they're redoing these and... The other one that really has me excited, and I haven't pre-ordered this one, is the Mandalorian has the uh, actual Beskar suit. It's all silver, which I... Oh, I interesting. Noted right on that from well, the second I got that first one. I'm like, this character's already obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know. Well, that now you can buy another one. That's how these things work. I did um, pre-order the Kamoan clone trooper just because he looks badass. But looking and seeing that Tebow was part of the line, I didn't realize that Ewok Tebow was there. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. you know, I did see Admiral Akbar. I saw the, the Stormtrooper and you know the other ones. But that, I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I need an Ewok. That's where it gets dangerous. Because even now, I'm still like, well, there's only certain ones I'm going to get. I'm not 
Pokemon fever where I got to get them all. <laughs> but it definitely starts to build because I feel like, you know, I got to have all the certain droids that I want, all the Jedi that I want, I, and all the clones that I want. And then I, bounty hunters. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm almost collecting all of them, Riley. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. I um, It, it, it can get become a problem. Very fast. I am surprised that they are... I don't know, doubling down on on Rebels, which has been these many years off the air, and um, there's no Clone Wars specific. Um, wait, I guess we have the uh, uh, the 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 trooper, the Camino trooper, but that's really the only Clone Wars yeah, one I, we're seeing. Um, is there any? I know, just just Camino is, is according to the Jedi news piece that we have. We'll have a link if you want to see the packaging. It's pretty cool. You can we'll have a link um, in the show notes for you for episode four hundred thirty four. You can hop there right at starsreport dot com. We make it really easy to uh, follow along with anything that we're talking about there. Um, yeah, man, I'm I'm pretty excited. But I I actually I want to also uh, talk to you about this Project Maverick situation too. Um, yeah, what is this? I mean, so, you and I were talking about this when we were doing our patron exclusive content before the show, but uh, we didn't get um, deep in the water. Let's uh, so Project Maverick is EA's next rumored Star Wars project, which I already um, like the name. I, I, right? So it's <laughs> there's an image that was accidentally, uh, which I don't know. I don't believe in accidents, but uh, that was posted <laughs> to the PlayStation Store. I want to say this was a couple of weeks ago. And it, it, it's a code name, obviously. It's literally Star Wars Project Maverick. But it's done in the font, and there's this really cool... It's like a Star Destroyer going through a asteroid field with a sort of blood-red environment lighting, some small little X-wings there. It's pretty pretty freaking cool. Um, but uh, EA Play is coming up next week, this uh, live stream event that they're going to be doing. And, and, of course, this is all still rumor, um, but I think it's a good bet that that's where they would be re- re- revealing this code name, Project Maverick. The there's some other indications that they're going to re- re- reveal the next Star Wars game. Um, Motive Montreal, which is the game's developer for whatever this um, code named project is, they opened up their official um, Twitter account in the last couple weeks, um, which would mean that they're getting ready to promote their their big project, which was probably the star wars game um and that and of course it was march so not that long ago when the playstation store listing that's what had that leaked um um i guess image and it also had background music for the game which means it's probably ready for a reveal coming up soon so it's the the teaser like that image mark i want to get kind of get your take on it you know we have some x-wing star destroyer um there's a, a Kotaku report a while ago that reported this is more of a smaller project, perhaps uh, not like maybe not in the grand epic scale as a battlefront or something like that. What do you think uh, this yeah. might be, or what, maybe what kind of uh, what does it stir in you? What kind of hopes do you have for this? Kind of seeing just the little bit we have. Perfect. I, I I just I love the fact that like I know nothing about this, and you've literally just dropped this in my lap. I, mean, I know. For 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 twenty minutes now, I've known the name of it, um, but this is really the first time we're we're paying. Any it really hasn't to any detail. It hasn't got man. Right. It hasn't gotten into the mainstream at all. I've I've I, I heard the name Project Maverick a couple weeks ago circle around a little bit in Star Wars Twitter, but um, it really just hasn't. I haven't seen people talking about it that much. 
Well, you think about, okay, the, the first thing that jumps to mind when I hear Maverick, of course, is Top Gun, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you see four X-Wings going into battle with a Star Destroyer, and they're talking about it being a smaller-than-usual project, and I'm thinking a Rogue Squadron-type game. You know, you're, you're finally going to get to fly some X-Wings in a little squad, maybe four up to nine ships yeah. in the squad, and you're going to go on some missions. I mean, that's a good way to keep it small, because really... All you got to work with is what's in the cockpit, and then everything else is just the background of the game. It's all Starfield. Or if you go into a planet and stuff. I mean, honestly, though, if you're going to keep it small, go with the Starfield. It's a better way to go about it. A lot less to render. Um, and I think that, you know, if that's the direction they're going, I will be supremely stoked with. Especially if they really nail the flight mechanics. And I remember when I played Starfighter and Jedi Starfighter on the PlayStation uh, 2, and the way that they did the the... The dog roll with the left and right, like you could do tight corkscrew barrels. Uh, you can, I mean, man, it was, there was a lot you could do. You could flip it on a 180 and come right back on people and stuff. There was such great controls with that game. And I kept remembering when uh, Battlefront got remade and we started doing those flights and stuff. I was really hoping they were going to go with those type of mechanics and they didn't. But that, when I hear Maverick, that's kind of where I immediately latch to and go towards. Um, Trying to think outside of that, though, if you were going to do a game like, you know, KOTOR or something like that and go with the same Maverick, you know, and, and knowing where it's set because you can't say, oh, well, you know, it's an Old Republic game and you're going to be like the Maverick Jedi or something, you know, the only thing I could think of in this case is like, you know, maybe you're an Imperial that's uh, going against the rest of the Empire. I mean, wouldn't that be an interesting rebel point of view, you know? Where yeah. you're with someone respectable that was with the Republic, they have a destroyer, um, you know, and then everything changes and as things progress, they're not liking it and they jump ship. But then again, I think that that also gets too close to what you have with Battlefront 2 and the storyline with Iden Versio. So, I mean, you know, I... I Personally, I just I want that Starfighter game. <laughs> like yeah, with what we've got fair. so far, that leans me hardest in that direction. Anything else, I feel like is just pure conjunction and speculation on my part. I feel like at least in that regard, I'm like, well, I'm working with the clues, <laughs> and it all lines up, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think um, the 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 excitement and the possibility is is way bigger and better coming off of Fallen Order than it would have been coming off of Battlefront 2. Because Battlefront 2 is, is essentially the the greatest fail in modern video game development in terms of marketing and, and, and brand, I don't know, damage to the brand. Uh, I remember like the controversies swelling up in the gaming community about the loot crates and essentially the pay-to-win accusations for Battlefront 2 as the gameplay system was to, uh, was revealed. Mm-hmm. And um, that, I, I mean, it was getting so much bad press. I, I remember reading some rumors that Bob Iger and Disney proper got involved with like the uh, with EA and the video game teams to basically be like, guys, fix this. We don't care how. And uh, mm-hmm. but there was already so much bad press and damage done. However, we find ourselves on the heels of of Fallen Order, Jedi Fallen Order, which I which I, you know, and I've complained about it in terms of its. I don't know the puzzle element of the gameplay that I'm not the biggest fan of. However, and, as and a I've story, heard that from a lot of people, and I think okay, that good. I'm I'm glad I'm not going insane thing. here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I understand your frustration because I've been recently playing more games of that nature. Eventually, I plan on getting this one. It just hasn't dropped to the price that I'm willing to spend on the deluxe edition. Yeah, but I've been playing Spider Man, and uh, we just got more uh, Shadow of Mordor. So we've been playing the game of the years, you know. So and my wife's been playing Red Dead Redemption Two. My daughter was playing Grand Theft Auto, but. 
after playing Spider-Man, you know, I mean, it, I appreciate an open world universe where it's it's so complex and there's so many different things you can do that a, a person could get lost if they're not really versed in anything and they come yeah. right into it and they just start playing. Because that's how I was with the Spider-Man game. I didn't realize I was doing half the things wrong until my son was like, played it in one day. He's like 75% through the game. I'm like, how did you do that? It took me all day to turn on all those radars. He's like, were you just doing one mission at a time? I'm like, there's more than one option? So, I mean, I, I think that that's an interesting aspect of it because when you think too about Battlefront, right? I mean, they had those loot crates with the first game, but it was definitely the press with the second one as the second one was about to launch that mm -hmm. really made that splash yeah because i think about of the two games the better game is battlefront 2 you know it had the story mode honestly i love i love i love battlefront 2 i'm i'm right. a big fan right and, and i think a lot you know outside of the press i, I think Really, the only thing bad that happened for that game was the press of, of what was looking like the pay-to-win strategy. And they quickly course-corrected that. I think they did a good job. But but you're right, though. I mean, the, the backlash there and the fact that Disney felt that they needed to step in, which I think they did. Yeah. I think, you know, those type of games... And it's already kind of frustrating in the aspect of when you are playing the game, you have to have so many points. So if you're not good at, at shooting people... You know, you're always playing the generic character. So you get to play the good character for one round, and then you're back to playing the generic character again. But they got some really cool skins, and if you plug along and stuff and get some of those skins unlocked, it's kind of cool. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting because, like, as you were saying that, I'm like, was it the second one? Or was well, the first one? And I was like, no, you're right, it was the second one, and it was it was all because of those damn loot crates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I, it's one of those things that it's it's. Um... It's fortunate now that they have much better press coming off of the success of Jedi Fallen Order, which is just an awesome game. But like, I I, I really did. Like, I loved the story. I watched the basically. I cut the game short because I don't care about the gameplay, but I definitely cared about the story a lot and really enjoyed um, experiencing it through the well <laughs> through the theater of YouTube, um, which is of course <laughs> now how these things work. But you know what else? What else are you gonna do, man? Um, I mean, honestly, though, I mean, my son's been playing games more. I had to look and reassess my values when it came to gaming. When the original Battlefront and Battlefront 2 came out, right, those old school ones, mm -hmm. I was like my son is now. Like, dude, nobody wanted to play with me because I was just lethal. <laughs> was like, now I play those games and I'm like, how? I don't even see the guys. I'm just getting shot. <laughs> I'm just like, man, this is so frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so bad at them. It's, it's hilarious. a different beast in that regard. Like, man, this, this has changed things so yeah. much and gaming in general is is so different i mean you know i remember when you play in the nintendo 64 and stuff and having friends been talking about motion sickness and i'm just like man like where is that friend now on these back games? in the I day yeah and so a lot of people they'll watch their friend play the game because they know that they're never going to be able to get past this part right and mm. I remember when I was younger with my best friend Ty on a Nintendo, right? The old school Nintendo. We'd be playing games and I get to a spot where I kept falling and dying. And he'd be like, here, let me do it. And next thing I know, like two hours have gone by and I've watched him beat the game. But that was exciting then and it's still exciting now. Like, I think when a game story is good enough, you want to understand where the character is going throughout the story. Some of those first ones were like Link, you know? I mean, everybody wanted to know the whole story of Zelda and how Link saves her and everything. When you get that in a Star Wars level, though, and you've got all this great stuff, oh, man, you know, the, the world building. I mean, think about the Fallen Empire or mm -hmm. uh, Fallen Order, right? Where... 
you know, we were talking in our Patreon content about how my son was watching these videos and stuff. And so he knew about the planet Ilum and how it becomes Starkiller Base. I mean, if you had some of the visual guides and stuff, you probably know them for a while. But if you don't read those things and you're only playing games like my son, that was a really big moment. He came in, he was all excited. And, and you know, we sit down and we watch these things together. And it is kind of exciting if you've never played the game and you have no desire to play the game. You can at least watch this content. It's like a free movie. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. It is, and I, like I say, I absolutely love it. So I will, I will watch with um, great interest this uh, Project Maverick, which they, which they will reveal. I mean, it wasn't that long. Fallen Order was revealed one year ago at the same event, EA Play. So oh. uh, I, I think it's fair to say, like they, they have, they're already pretty well along the, um, the timeline for uh for announcing it so it'll be cool to see um what they announce and we'll be covering it here of course on the podcast now uh one final bit of news uh that i wanted to cover is mandalorian season two uh release date has been confirmed uh we are indeed hitting october um there's a virtual atx tv festival and john favreau was there and he made it clear what we've heard, Becca, I don't know if you caught this, Mark, but um, the Q2 Disney earnings report, mm-hmm. uh, where Bob Chapek as the beleaguered brand new CEO of Disney. <laughs> Talk mm-hmm. about a time. Bob Bob 2.0. Exactly. Bob 2.0. Um, <laughs> he, he talked a lot about um, the, the company and, and where they were. And, and, and he said, no, we're still on track with Mandalorian season two because they had already wrapped filming. So post-production was largely being accomplished um, in the pandemic environment successfully. So, but we, we get it from John Favreau himself. He says, quote, uh, we were lucky enough to have finished photography before the lockdown. Thanks to the, how technology forward Lucasfilm and ILM are, we have been able to do all of our visual effects and editing and post-production remotely through systems that have been set up by those companies for us. That's pretty cool. Um, yep. Uh, second season picks up right after the, right where the first one left off with the show already confirmed for a third season and Favreau made it clear just how much fun they're having quote, as we are, as we explore partnering with new filmmakers and having new characters and going deeper with the characters that we already have, it's really been very fun and fulfilling. And I hope people are having as much fun seeing it as we are having making it. Mr. John, you know how much that excites me. I mean, I've I've got friends that are trepidatious that Dave Filoni is involved with Favreau. Wait, and wait, right, wait. Right. <laughs> and for me, I'm like, I'm excited about this because Favreau is the type of person that understands collaboration. Mm. And think about this, just watch right? the you know, Mark. Have you sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but have you watched the any of the Disney Gallery behind the scenes episodes that have been I've coming out? Only got to watch the first one. Every time I go to watch it, my son see the playing a game, or my wife takes over the TV uh, watching Gossip Girl. I am so damn versed gosh, in Gossip man. Girl right now. It's not even funny. my gosh. We need to host like a watch party, like a specific time. So you're like, honey, I gotta like everybody's watching it. It's like a movie night. That but would be. It's that would be good. The only reason I say that is it's exactly what you're saying. You really do see the, the talent scout collaborative nature of John Favreau, who's really the sort of the guy who's bringing in all these other directors and talent and writers to, to, to work on the season. Well, and Favreau's got such a wide scope, right? I mean, he's doing TV shows. He's doing other movies. He's doing other 
other IPs like Marvel yeah. movies and stuff. Mm. I mean, he's all over the spectrum, right? So, I mean, because there's a lot of people that are really upset that Filoni is involved because they're like, oh, God, here we go. It's just like Rebels. It's going to be the Clone Wars all over again. And as we're about to talk it. about with some new character I don't know, coming in. I don't know who, you know who, what people you're talking to, Mark. I th- most of the people it, I follow are like super excited about the fact that it's right, Filoni right. involved. I said some. It's very few. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and the three of them know who they are. Uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, for me, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I love everything that Dave Filoni has been doing. Granted, there were some things in the early days of the Clone Wars that I'm still not sure if it was George or Filoni that botched it up. But I'm okay with that because it's like overall Filoni delivers. And I think with Favreau, I don't see it more as, as Filoni's pushing this stuff. I see it more as Favreau seeing opportunity. And he will seize that opportunity. So, I mean, I have a feeling with some of these new character potential announcements that we're going to be talking about in a second, that some of these are just a great moment in sandbox history. When you just sit down, you got this great, brilliant guy that's creative mind, and Favreau's sitting there, and he looks over, and, and he's got his buddy uh, Filoni sitting here, and he sees all these toys, and he's like, you, you know... Your characters deal with the Mandalorian culture quite a bit. Like, I mean, to me, this seems like a no-brainer to bring certain aspects and certain elements from the other shows into this. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about this next part. <laughs> I just didn't want to jump all into it right away. I wasn't sure if you were uh, done with this other part. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it is, it's really interesting to see the behind-the-scenes process play out for season one um, in a way that tells us what's going to happen in season um, season two. A uh, little bit, uh, some fun little facts in, in the piece that we have here. Um, kind of what we know now about season two. Not not only that it's going to be October and that they're keeping that date, but um, we the new cast members and directors who've joined the show include the likes of, and we've mentioned some of these, but Rosario Dawson, rumored to play Ahsoka Tano, Timothy Oliphant, uh, unknown character, Timuera Morrison. He's got to be a bounty hunter or he's somebody somebody with the dark side of things. Like. Right? Uh, Timuera Morrison. Timuera. Jingle <laughs> Fit. I'm, I'm Jingle Fit. I mean the Mandalorian. Uh, he's and then, one of the more loaded ones because of the aspect of characters he could play. Yeah, he's, <laughs> a, he's Captain Rex. No, I'm He's Captain Rex. He could be any of a number amount of troopers. Any of those troopers that were working for what's his name could pull off their helmet, and we could find out that it's. I would. I mean, I would just be ecstatic. I don't even care if it has to be somebody I, we know already. I want to <laughs> go time on. He pulls off his helmet, and I'm like, ah, stop out. <laughs> I want to go on record um, now and say um, I think it's going to be uh, Boba Fett. I hope so. However, I hope Fett shows up. I don't think it's the Boba Fett. I think it's he's going to play a clone. I think Boba Fett, or of, of some kind. Like a Jota cast kind yes, of thing, yes. like they had in Legends? Something like that. And then I think um, it's going to be well, the Dread Pirate Roberts version of that, Boba Fett. Like there's a new that, person who takes on the armor. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Okay, uh, <laughs> you're so dang close to what my theory is on this. Because Life Debt, uh, we went back to Tatooine in like a, a throwaway scene that really felt like it had no importance, but also felt like, why are we doing this? This feels very important. And we know that Boba Fett's armor made it out of the Sarlacc pit. We don't know exactly if Boba caught out with it, but we know that the armor made it out and somebody ended up purchasing it. So, Do, I, I mean, just that alone, I'm like, ooh. It, mm, mm, it, mm, mm. Mark, and there are people that Mark, don't want 
Boba to show it's, up. But I kind of like, I think that that'd be kind of a cool thing just, to play on. You you kind of waltzed past your source there, sir. Uh, I think, here's the deal, though. I think with um, Boba Fett, it's plausible to have, like, the armor survived, and it's cool that that's an element of a Chuck Wendig novel. However, <laughs> I don't think the writers or producers of The Mandalorian show give a damn about the the right the novels i'm sorry it's just and they never have it's not i'm not this is not like an accusatory how dare they i just don't think it's not something that enters in that in that level of the creative decision making. this gets back to something that we want the only thing that they do is is like how palpatine came back they're like and it was like it was done in legends they could do the same thing with boba fett because and that's where i get excited because what they did in legends boba fett did get out yes but boba fett was way more tied to the mandalorian culture down the road Right. He didn't have any cut ties to it at first because he didn't really he didn't really feel like that was his. But then later he ends up becoming the Mandalore and everything. And that was and his legacy of being Django's son and all that became very important to the leftover clones that were still alive. And that, while it being its own story, was really cool. I would like to see something similar in the aspect of Boba with Mandalorian culture. I'd like to maybe even see Boba get completely rejected by them. You find out he's like a complete outcast or something, and none of them consider him, you know. Yeah. I, that I, whole me... comment that we got in the Clone Wars where Almec said that the Fets weren't Mandalorian, I feel like there is a story that they can piggyback off of and do something with if they decide to make Fett well, live. And listen, Prime Minister Almec's not necessarily, this is a deep cut reference, guys. If you haven't watched Clone Wars, you're not going to get this but i'm gonna but listen that's your fault <laughs> prime minister almec was he's not necessarily the most reliable source he's the he's a corrupt official in league with the separatists so like he may not be the most reliable source about the heritage of the mandalorians like i really think that there's room to play around with that backstory and i dare say like we've already seen the mandalorian break the the lucas rule of no flashbacks you know, we saw flashbacks in The Last Jedi, but we see, we see serious flashbacks. Like, here he was as a kid in the first mm-hmm. season of Mandalorian. Who's to say that um, we don't get a, a Boba Fett storyline that takes place in the events or just prior to the events of Return of the Jedi that literally sort of, like, tells you that, you know, B-plot of what right. happened to Boba and say he did survive, say he did die and say there's, like, a more interesting plotted reason that he fell in the Sarlacc pit rather than just like, like we had to get rid of him fast. And they and you get Tamara Morrison to play that middle aged Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi. Like you could do that. Um and that would be really cool to see Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett in a flashback, even if he dies in the Sarlacc pit, making room right. for the Dread Pirate Roberts Boba Fett. That would be cool. And another thing they could do is is have his armor have something important encrypted in it. Like maybe he died with like the only access code oh, to a certain yeah, bank yeah. treasure, and that becomes the MacGuffin of the story of we've got to find Fett's armor and get that code out of you know the the database because he's got it's in that Sarlacc for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, it's not going anywhere, but we know where it is. But we got to come up with a plot to get it out. Oh, but guess what? It got out on its own. Like <laughs> I still got to hold it down. I still want it to be the robot chicken Boba Fett. <laughs> Just be like back <laughs> well, from see, the dead. 
And I also lean towards the Rex angle because it just seems the most obvious. You know, I mean, you've got the rumor of Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. You've got people hoping that we're going to get Sabine. Um, there's the idea and rumor that uh, Katie Sackhoff's coming back to play Bo-Katan. Um, so, I mean, there's, I, there's a lot of aspects of Mandalorian culture from what we've seen in the Clone Wars and in Rebels mm-hmm. that do not jive quite with what we see here, and yet it works because of the clan nature, and yet it's prime opportunity for some great storytelling between the characters of these two stories. And to have them do a crossover would be fun. And then you think about Rebels kind of jumps forward quite a bit at the very end when uh, Sabine and Ahsoka go off to look for Ezra. So then there's the question of, you know, are they on the search for Ezra when they this happens? Is this mm. after they find Ezra? Uh, you know, there's so many questions there as to where this all falls in because the way Rebels left off, they go off on their mission. We don't know where Re- Ezra went. We don't know where Thrawn went. And I mean, I've even heard them talking that Thrawn might show up. And honestly... I I'm not one of those that would be upset at all. I would I would be ecstatic if they dovetail off of these older shows. And again, getting back to Favreau being in charge of all this, that just seems like his style. I, I mean, granted, yeah, I don't think Filoni's done this too, but it I, seems like a Favreau thing. It is his style. I don't think he would do it without Filoni. I think the fact that Filoni's on is is what gives credence to your idea that right. these the, the 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 aftermath pun intended the aftermath of um rebels will play into season two of the mandalorian with ahsoka's story and and you know i say as much as i i just literally i have to eat my own words here kind of in in the newsweek article we have because it tags the end of the article quite literally with the rumor of who timothy oliphant's gonna play um which the and i and this is the hollywood reporter which is reliable but it's not a guarantee until it's official but they're saying uh he's playing uh a He's bringing to screen a character from the Aftermath series, um, Cobb Vanth, the sheriff in Tatooine's Freetown. And so... That's the guy who ended up with the armor, if I recall correctly. Wait, really? I, I Yeah, let me... I gotta Man, verify this. You can, what, I am pretty you, sure that that's... Uh, let's see, Cobb. Well, listen to the Google machine, because that's what... Yeah. It's probably what all <laughs> of the listeners are doing right now, but um, I think... So I literally say that and started pooping on Chuck Wendig novels to only realize that... Um, here we go. Lived around the time of the Battle of Endor, once a slave. Um, he rose to become... Yeah, yeah, no, it was him. Yeah, Sheriff yeah, of Freetown. Yeah, after acquiring a set of Mandalorian armor from Jawas in for ABY, the following year he enlisted the services of Jabba's former animal trainee. Now, <laughs> if they take that character of of Cobb Vanth and they do a Jodo cast style where he's portraying himself as Boba Fett, I will be equally ecstatic about that. I will be confused as to why they're using aftermath as a source material. <laughs> they do that but you know i i will say this in isolation like the actual while those books were never my thing i will say the the idea of um a tatooine sheriff having somehow acquired boba fett's armor like that's be pretty that, that'd be pretty cool that'd be pretty sweet i I'm, I'm listen i am on board for that ride i you know i think um i will say this what I think this tells me, if if the this is the direction of season two, um, I've heard some complaints about 
them bringing in too many familiar elements and trying to hand jam too many popular characters from the animated series. And, you know, let's, Hey, let's get Ahsoka in here. Let's get Boba Fett in here. I, I, I think this is a move to uh, pivot towards the core Star Wars fandom surrounding the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and build a new story off of that and tying it into the original trilogy in, in the way that we saw with season one. But building right. off of that version of Star Wars and and that pivot is clearly coming because that's the only on-screen Star Wars we're going to get for the near future. Until right. we get... Um, I mean, and that's the same thing like with the Obi-Wan series. That's going to be closely based off of the Lucas films. That the, and I mean, I don't mean that in the wrong plural. I mean that in the uh, George Lucas's films, George Lucas's Star Wars films. Right. It, the Obi Wan right. series ties into that. They, they're they're steering clear, and they have come. They've I think t- are turning away from the sequel trilogy and, and and basically closing that book and making way for whatever the next thing is. So this this I think it's okay to turn inward and feature more popular fan characters and be more quote unquote fan servicey because I don't think these are I, I don't think these are meant for the widest audience, frankly. Like honestly, I think whatever the next animated series uh, is, if they're bringing in Ahsoka and Cobb Vanth as like characters in Mandalorian, that's not like trying to make uh, mainstream audiences come to this this series. That's bringing in and and pivoting to your core fan base. And so I think that's what they're doing. They're building up the core fan base of the popular projects that more, the more hardcore Star Wars fans have followed like rebels and, and less away from the, what's been the mainstream, which is of course the, the theatrical films. Well, do you think there's only so many episodes they're putting out a season, right? So yes. just because we're seeing all these characters from Rebels and the Clone Wars showing mm-hmm. up as potentially showing in, it doesn't mean we're going to get more than one episode. That's true. Them. That's true. I mean, think about all that was jammed into the Tatooine episode, right? <laughs> like, location, location, location. And then, oh my God, it might be Boba Fett. Like, I, I just, I think that these guys are paying so much attention to that. And Filoni was paying attention when he brought Ahsoka and he brought Rex and he brought his other characters in from the Clone Wars. He didn't want to make it all about them. I mean, so their story kind of ran parallel to the main story, but it didn't over-focus it. Anytime that Ahsoka's battle with Vader got intense, there was major things happening for Kanan and Ezra at the same damn time. I mean, I and I think that that's something that people have to remember. It's not like all of a sudden Ahsoka's going to show up in the first episode and she's going to become a main actor, uh, you know, like the next, uh, you know, Steve Urkel was only supposed to be there for one episode, but we just decided to put her in every single one. It's not going to be like that. Like, I mean, maybe if anything, we'll get like two or three episodes at the end or something where it kind of builds up off of something like what we saw at the end of season one, where all of a sudden we were going back and picking up other characters and stuff and paying tributes to these locations that we've seen all season long, because that's what they do. And I mean, I don't know. I, I could see why people are upset, but I, I don't see this as being a cause to be upset i understand why they are but i'm not well i'm, I'm excited that's an excellent place to be because like we can understand why without necessarily ag- uh, agreeing with the point like that's that's a that's sort of a right. fun that's a fundamental way to um enjoy a greater degree of sanity in star wars fandom is like you may not agree with uh, certain opinions or or view uh, or you know 
uh, projects or uh, books or comics or movies, like your opinion of them may be different than someone else's. But be let's let's be good at at least understanding why something is popular or something is hit, striking a chord with certain elements of the of the fan base. Uh, I'm just saying a little empathy that goes a long way. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, but we'll we'll keep track of it. Uh, it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be kind of a. I have this feeling it's gonna be kind of a slow summer. In terms of news, it's it's going to be kind of a throwback to old summers before, before the the Disney trilogy, before before the Force Awakens. Uh, we would do this podcast, and and it famously, a lot of Star Wars podcasts back in the day would like just take long breaks in the summer. I'm like, man, we're not going to do it for a few weeks. There just isn't news anymore. And like this right? this week's evident, we've kind of squeezed a lot of great discussion out of a really pretty light news week. Um, but you know what? I think it's time. Uh, that that's part of why I'm kind of spending this summer diving back into Star Wars, but I'm talking about the Star Wars, mm-hmm. the Star Wars before Star Wars. You're listening to the Star Wars Report. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. <laughs> you better believe it. Uh, I, let me tell you, uh, I have really been getting into. Listen, everybody's about to like yell at their iPhone. I was about to say iPod, but nobody has those anymore. They're like, <laughs> you're still talking about secret history of Star. Yes, I am. <laughs> and listen, I'm not going to stop this whole summer. I, that's literally all I'm going to do is I'm going to make whatever my poor guest is each week. This you you are the you are my victim to uh, this week, Mark. Um, talk about like uh, I, I feel like I'm in college I'm going through the book and writing some notes I have my highlighter out just kind of taking some really cool t- uh, takeaways and things that I am learning about the making of the very original film and, and original trilogy uh, and, and bringing them to light on this podcast uh, highly highly recommend it actually got a um, give him a shout out uh, on my Instagram which you can follow at uh, the Riley guy Got a really nice, uh, or no, it was on our, sorry, it was, I said it was on our Facebook page. Got a really ni- nice note from a listener. I don't have it up, so I, I can't uh, shout out the name. I feel bad. But um, he was just saying, hey, thanks so much for turning uh, turning him on to The Secret History of Star Wars. Uh, and he just started the audiobook. If you haven't, join the club. I'm going to be talking about it all summer, basically. Uh, so uh, get it, audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report. You can get it for free. I wasn't even going to plug our, our Audible link, but you can do it right there. It's super easy. Audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report. Get yourself Was a this, copy. Was uh, this Jerry Blank that you were speaking to? I think so. I think so. That I sounds right. So. I think yes. if you've got the page up, you probably see the I message. I do. I do. I was, I was just giving you a chance to be like, yes, that's it. That's, that's the one, yeah. Um, but but yeah, I've, I've really been uh, getting into it, and I've been sort of preaching the gospel of this book to all my Star Wars friends, too. So, Mark, uh, same thing goes for you. Have you have you read You've heard of it. I know you have. I, I've heard of it because you've been talking about it, and I want to get my hands on it because like I'm won't. curious about the details it gives. You know, I mean, like, is it is it just lucas's creative ideas in the process of the creation or is it more like like how uh dark horse did the star wars and we're like here's the original plot and then it's you know kind of like how nate's been doing with the films like this is how it was presented in theatrical version and this is how it was done by laserdisc and at this point it was changed this way it's kind of like nate it's it's similar to nate's project but um it, it it is it's kind of all of the above. It's very thorough, and right. and that's why I'm actually kind of bringing it to the podcast as well because I think some of this content is really interesting, but blended in to 600 pages of you know of a full accounting of this story, 
Uh, it, some of the um, nuggets, I think, get lost in the shuffle, which is why I'm going through my little highlighter and pen and talking about Smart. them on my nerdy Star Wars podcast. So here we go, guys. All um, right. We're Hold on, t- crank up the heat, guys. We need to be sweaty for this. Uh, I, I feel like, hang on, this is... Hang on, hang on. This is... We need a proper... This is basically book club. Uh, a book club. Star Wars book club. So let's well, get some music. <laughs> Today, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking about chapter one, part two, <laughs> the Star Wars... Please do turn your page to 63 as we talk about... Okay, <clears throat> there we go. It feels right now. Um, so we left off... And Mark, this will help you out if you, hadn't, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that segment. I, when I was talking to Bethany two weeks ago, uh, she was on the show. And um, uh, we talked about the early drafts, the early ideas, scripts, the little two-page jur- jur- uh, Journal of the Wills outline... Um, the all, the, all the way, Luke Starkiller. Yep, yep. Leading all the way up to uh, Lucas's submission of the 14-page official treatment for approval to the 20th Century Fox that they officially greenlit the film and gave him a bunch of money. Which I wish wow. I could write a 14-page film treatment and them give me a bunch of money. But that right. was those those early drafts are what we get a lot of the character names, some of like the 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 core elements. It's where George rips off basically whole cl- by hall cloth basically plagiarizes this book summary of the hidden fortress that 14 page draft is basically a <laughs> rip off of uh, hidden fortress with space names and so but that's that's the first thing but we get to i want to kind of bring us through that first script for star wars um his first he went it goes through several drafts but um, I, I kind of want to actually walk through what that film, some of the stuff I learned about the film scripting process that I never knew before. Um, and essentially there were, and this is straight from uh, Secret History of Star Wars, so uh, credit where credit's due. Um, there were four versions of the script plus the initial uh, treatment. So that's sort of a total of five official scripts, if you call that first one, that, that 14-page treatment one. And so of those four iteration, that's kind of, it, the 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 rest of this chapter kind of chronicles exactly what George was pulling from for inspiration as he was tasked to he has to actually write a script now which fun fact as I'm sure it comes to no surprise to you Mark George Lucas does not like writing scripts he's not a fan <laughs> of writing movie scripts um uh, and so to do so he sounds kind of like me like I in college I didn't like writing that much but I would I could always like pull inspiration from other sources and, and cobble something together. And that's literally what he did. Um, he took Marsh on vacation after American Graffiti came out. This is like uh, 1973, I want to say. Yeah, 1973. Um, and he just literally started piling together, like from local newsstands, uh, he, uh, science fiction mag- uh, magazines, armfuls of pulp fiction and comic books, literally just sort of like... Uh, piling together whatever he could to piece together any kind of inspiration at all for anything science fiction. Um, Here we go. Starting in 1973, I was very much focused on science fiction. This is an interview from uh, him back in the day. But uh, very much interested in science fiction, the genre, the the people, the conventions, the magazines, every every fantasy thing I could uh, get my hands on to see where everybody's heads was. And that's an old interview with George Lucas from Starlog in 1981. But essentially, he's piecing together what was considered in the 1970s uh, schlock, like comic books (laughs) and sci-fi comics and fanzines and conventions, like 
back in back in the day they were not mainstream in the way that they are now in the way that the marvel universe has completely changed how mainstream comic books and science fiction and fantasy are but but that's the root of what george was kind of digging into um i thought i just thought it reminded me of uh his it, it kind of showed his desperation just for any ideas to to sort of shape this movie into his own into his own vision because he sort of had this he had this sort of idea for the kind of movie he wanted to see that's the sense i get mark but he mm-hmm. didn't have like a story running through his mind he just had like oh man i want to do like flash this great Gordon. backdrop yes but that's it that's the that's the thing man he he saw um and here's like um an interview martin scorsese uh talked about uh lucas watching the adventures of robin hood um and like the Seahawk of that era, these swashbuckling films from the forties that he saw as a kid growing up that he would have, you know, just loved seeing the sword fights. He's like, man, I want to see space sword fights. Right. And that's just something you didn't, you hadn't seen yet. Um, you didn't have lightsabers. Interestingly enough, if you stop and you think about the whole saga, now that we can say that it, it's definitely clear which films aren't George's because of that backdrop angle, right? Mm-hmm. The entire story of Star Wars is being told as we're watching the Republic fall, an empire rise, and then a rebellion take that out and cast it aside and then re-put up a new Republic again. And we get that in episodes one through six. And then yeah. seven, eight, nine come, and then we find out that everything everyone works so hard on is all tossed out the window, <laughs> and they all get wiped out. And oh, by the way, the big bad guy from the old stuff is back, better than ever, more powerful, bigger army, but he's trapped in a really cool place, so we can strike now. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, when you look at it like that and you think about the grand history of things, mm-hmm. unless they move forward and do something post- you know, the rise of Skywalker and give us, you know, what the new governments are and stuff like, man, that is kind of a bleak what happened in the last three films of the, of the backdrop of the galaxy. Like, man, there went your new hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it is, it is interesting because you see that difference, but you also see that difference where that epic scale hadn't, wasn't really in his head yet for star Wars. Star Wars doesn't right. bring in the, either, uh, you know, Obi-Wan mentions it briefly. Um, you know, your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough. Um, it will hold the dark times before before the empire. But that's all we get these little these little tidbits that, of course, as kids in the seventies, uh, just absolutely spite uh, sparked the imagination. But we fast forward. That was beginning of seventy three. We fast forward to fall seventy three, and um, those earlier scripts and treatments uh, had the main character as a general Skywalker. Um. Starkiller earlier, but um, General Skywalker was kind of put to the supporting role, and the the main kid was going to be his uh, the main character was going to be a younger boy, an apprentice, whom he named Starkiller, which was later expanded to Anakin, spelled differently, Anakin Starkiller, and it would be General Skywalker who would be this sort of Jedi friend, the master, yeah. and it would be Anakin Starkiller. Yes, exactly. He was the Kenobi figure. Yep. Anakin Starkiller would be the apprentice uh, to Kane, his father. So there's a yep. father figure and an Obi-Wan figure. Now, Kane- listeners, if you guys want to see this in print, Dark Horse Comic put out, and it's, and it's in quotes here, the 
Star Wars. It was a mini series and it was the original draft and they did it as a like six or eight comic run. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the only reason why I, I know what you're talking about is because I read that and it was really interesting. Oh, interesting. It's, which kind of, I guess, gives you some context for the, that early script because you, you get to see yep. that involvement, like the father figure just kind of disappears from the final film. And of course, Vader is becomes his father as he was writing Empire. Uh, he didn't have that in any of the early scripts or drafts or notes. Um, That was a decision he made later as he was uh, scripting Empire. Um, And that's when kind of the Star Wars films became this greater family saga. But that wasn't the case with the first one, um, honestly. Um, And then, and that's just, it just kind of became this brutal process of him. It took, it was like a year in 1973 through 74 of him just writing and rewriting, famously locking himself in a room and writing for eight hours a day. Um, It's, it's, he gets this kind of sense that um, I get the sense that his dad, who was the sort of disciplinarian figure in his life, who wanted him to join, who was always very strict, always wanted him to join, uh, the family business did not want him to go to film school or go into a creative, you know, filmmaking. He always thought that was ridiculous. And I can kind of sense as much as George Lucas has talked about how he would never be happy doing that. Um, which I think, you know, I think on this episode, I've got to play this little um, speech that George Lucas gives kind of about that part of his story. Um, but I'll, I'll put a pin in that. Mark, remind me at the end of the show and we'll, we'll play that audio. But we get that sort of sense about Lucas is, even in this process of writing, this grueling process, I, I kind of get the sense that that sort of everyman discipline uh, play, played, uh, played a role. Quote, here's a, um, in the making of Star Wars, Jonathan Rinsler's book, it states, uh, in an interview with George uh, that Jonathan Rinsler did for the book, George said, uh, uh, I, I grew up in a middle-class Midwest-style American town with this corresponding work ethic, so I'd sit at my desk and, and write, eight hours a day, no matter what happens. Uh, so no matter what happened, whether, whether or not he got anything done, whether or not he finished, he just was just like, I have to sit at the stupid desk for eight hours and just like bleed onto this page. And you really get that sense. So it, by the end of the that year, that's right, a year, he finished his first full draft of the screenplay. It took him a year, guys. Dang. Um, but it, that was called the Star Wars, and that's what it was. The comic was based on Mark, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he doesn't later. I, I, I don't know. It's um, he doesn't paint it very accurately later in life. There are interviews where he talks about how that that draft was you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, and uh, that's what he split into into the you know, parts two and three so that he used it for the prequels and, and Empire and Jedi. That, that's not the case. He's in interviews years later, he sort of, well, we'll say blurred the, the truth lines because the actual, <laughs> that, that actual draft was 132 pages, um, which is only 24 pages shorter than the final shooting screenplay. <laughs> Well, you gotta you gotta keep in mind though. I mean, for a regular guy who wrote anything, and then he's getting interviews and stuff. I don't think he ever thought the fans were actually going to write and, and research everything he ever did about the project. Right? Oh yeah, no, like no. he's over there, white lying left and right. And they're like, "You said there were twelve episodes, then nine, then three, then six. What is it, it's George? True. This like, is 
we're not putting George on. This is not the people versus George Lucas. So you're not putting right. on. Will the, will the honorable uh, Mr. George Lucas uh, please raise your right hand and swear? I do uh, hereby swear my first rough draft was. No, no, exactly. Um, but the, the first draft, and, and that's what I kind of wanted to highlight in this segment of the, kind of how these drafts came to be. And that'll take us up to uh, chapter three, Enter uh, Luke Skywalker. So we'll wrap up the chapter here, <laughs> Mark, by some of the key takeaways of what was present in this saga. Because it's, and you've read the comic, it, it, it bears mm-hmm. only vague resemblance of what the final film would be. Yeah. But there are Even some locations key... and stuff. Are, are, it's just a different enough story that everything about it yeah. rings true and yet rings totally different. Yeah, exactly. And and that's where there's some key takeaways of, of what did show up in that first full draft. Um, the Imperial bad guy, his name is Darth Vader. And that's the kind of entrance of Darth Vader as the villain of the film. Um, second, the idea of a Sith Lord redeeming himself and turning good is there in that script. It's not about Vader. It's a different character, Prince Valorum, who's a, a redeemed Sith Lord who's turned good. But that idea of redemption is there. Um, third is the concept of a family of Jedi, similar to the sort of saga story in, in that instead of Luke, Leia, Vader, it's like Anakin, the son of Cain. And you see this sort of mm-hmm. family affair of idea, even though it's not in the, its final form. And then the fourth and final one is uh, the concept of a man becoming machine, which in this, it's a uh, Kane Starkiller who's revealed to have all of his limbs replaced with artificial ones, as well as parts of his organs and the byproduct of years of battle. And as a result, he's dying and he requests general Luke Skywalker, again, the, the Obi-Wan figure to train his son. So it's sort of this weird amalgamation of Qui-Gon meets Vader meets, but you see that the, the, the is more machine now than man, twisted and evil. You you see that birth of what later. These are like the elements, the ingredients that will form not necessarily Star Wars, A New Hope, as as it would appear on screen. But you can see right. these elements, these seasonings of Star Wars, uh, in this very first draft that will become the Star Wars saga as we know it today. Some aspects that rhyme even from draft to draft. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's true. You know, one thing that I take away from this is it, this is one of the best parts of the fandom, right? Is we find something about Star Wars that interests us, and then we find like a book or something that gives us this wealth of information, and you get that passion to share it because it lights you up in a way that you want everyone else to, to experience it the way you're experiencing it because you're having so much fun with it. You know, and I still remember for me, it was always the new Jedi order because I brought so many family and friends into reading star Wars books through that book series. Uh, you know, and they, they liked how dark it was, uh, you know, clone wars for my son, uh, rebels for my daughter, Jaina. I mean, it's just, there's always something coming out, something new and that people are catching for the first time. And then there's stuff like this that goes back and gives you the history. I mean, because star Wars has been around for so long and there's so much minutia, especially when you think about the fact that there was a whole nother universe out there of stories and legends that have nothing or very little to do with some elements of what we see in the Canon story. And, you know, it's just so much history that goes in and the way that he created it and everything that you can have a book like this that could provide hours of information for mm. somebody to just 
discover. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing like with Nathan and, and his Sagon home video, you know, the different changes to each edition of each film. It's just been intriguing, but you have to do the research on the, some mm -hmm. of those things. And so for people to take the time, do that research and publish these books and put it out there. And then for you, you know, you've got we've got our platform here on on the second airborne division and you know, we're out to sharing our love for these things to our fellow fans. And that is one of the good things about our fandom. Dude. You know, they, I feel like we got to point that out. You know, everybody wants a bag on everything right now. It's like, there are good things happening. There are good people out there. We just, you know, we get overshouted by all the negativity sometimes in the tweets. <laughs> yeah. No, I listen, I, I totally agree with you, sir. Uh, I, I, I couldn't say it better myself, so I won't even tag on anything extra. Um, hey, I just want to take a brief time out and say, hey, huge thanks to everybody uh, supporting the show on, on Patreon. Um, I don't give enough shout outs, uh, so I, I just wanted to do one here. Big shout out to Jeremy Burtz. He's one of our longest uh, patrons and super awesome guys on the Bothan High Council. We hang out on our Skype calls. We um, just have a great time talking all things Star Wars. He's been a huge supporter and longtime presence in the community here um, at the Star Wars Report. Uh, so Jeremy, thanks so much for your continued support. If you're interested in mm -hmm. uh, being like Jeremy and supporting us, you can do so patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. It's a great way to support the show. Um, get some really cool bonus content. Our uh, Rogue Transmissions, our weekly bonus uh, content shows up right there in our Patreon podcast feed. Once you subscribe uh, at the Rogue Transmissions level, you can get an access to an RSS feed that you just copy and paste into your podcatcher, your app of choice, and uh, access Rogue Transmissions. Uh, every single level, or every single level, includes also our Facebook chat, which we have a lot of fun going back and forth uh, there. So check that out. Check out the Bothan High Council. We do uh, monthly hangouts on Skype, uh, which is something that the world is getting used to right now. But listen, we've been doing it for a long time. So check out all the cool bonus content uh, and help support the show at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. And, uh, and you know what? I'll tell Throwing a toss. If, if Patreon's not your thing, that's super cool. Um, but if you are interested, as uh, we just did this whole segment on Secret History of Star Wars, uh, you should check it out. Get it for free. AudibleTrial.com slash Star Wars Report. and get a free audio book of your choice as well as two Audible Originals. You don't even have to... Uh, you get to keep it no matter what, even if you don't keep your account. But we know you will because Audible's fantastic. I've been using it for years now. I'm a huge fan uh, so check it out, audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report. It's worth a lot to me. As you wish. That's right, folks. Boba's Bounty. Let's do it. Uh, each week we like to talk about something that we have seen, witnessed, uh, experienced, read, listened to in the world of Star Wars. I guess the, our previous segment was basically a giant rogue transmissions uh, right, bro. A giant uh, Boba's bounty. Uh, but uh, hey, uh, let's do uh, let's do Boba's bounty proper. I have absolutely been loving uh, the first two episodes of Lego Star Wars Droid Tales on Disney Plus. <laughs> nice. I can best describe nice. it as Robot Chicken meets Star Wars Lego. They've always had similar senses of humor. But it's mm -hmm. it's freaking fantastic. It's not Canada at all, but I love it. It's hilarious, and it's Anthony Daniels as C three PO, and he's he's really funny. So, uh, check it out. It's it's a lot of sort of robot chicken insider humor for hardcore Star Wars fans, 
And of course, then just plenty of fun for the kids if you're watching it. It's a goofy story. Admiral Akbar loves his sweet ride. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> doesn't uh, it also tie into some of the other Lego tales that are out there, like the Yoda one? Like, doesn't Jack show up at some form I or fashion? So. I think so. I honestly, I'm digging into a, uh, my first step in a, in a whole new world. Um, I, I always thought it was interesting because, you know, the whole joke of like, it's it's clearly not canon and yet they were always like it's all gonna be canon we're like oh yeah where's legos fit huh huh legos <laughs> is its own it's its own thing lego it's canon l canon right yeah we got three i guess not just two or four or four if you count the star wars because it's its own continuity <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but yeah. you know those those are cute little stories uh for me you know on audible I just got Count Dooku finally. Oh, so nice. I'm, I'm actually I'm I'm almost done with my first listen through. But I'll be honest, like I was doing other things. I was cleaning the studio while I was listening to it. So like I caught parts of it, but I, I know I missed way too much. So I'm gonna have to listen to it a couple different times. But it's interesting because unlike other audiobooks, because of the way it was produced, uh, you know, there's there's sometimes if you're not paying attention to who's speaking, you get confused as to are these two different characters talking back and forth yeah <laughs> but uh you know i'm actually I, i'm looking forward to getting the physical copy of the book that came out months or almost a year later getting my hands on that and kind of doing the two together because that's always fun to do with audible uh the other thing i got i finally got bligh um i didn't get bligh through gamestop even though i ordered him for some reason with all the covid stuff he got shipped everywhere but my store didn't get the one pre-order which was mine uh, so luckily when my wife actually saw one at a, at a target and bought it for me i'm like thank you because i wasn't getting that um nice. but i just finished queen's peril uh, okay. That book just came out. Yep. I, I honestly, I liked it. Um, and I guess uh, some of my other friends and some of our other reviewers on the site and stuff didn't enjoy it as much as I did. But and I don't know if that's because I didn't read Queen Shadow first and I just went into this one because I, I didn't get the review copy for Queen Shadow, just Queen Peril. So I had no clue about the first book. I mean, I knew it was out there, but I didn't know anything else about it. I really liked the way that this kind of did a Rogue One kind of thing for Padme in a sense. Um, I thought that was kind of cool and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, we had new pops recently and my kids have, have named them at the moment because we're not going to be keeping them or, or so I keep telling them. Uh, Finn was the firstborn and my daughter swears up and down she's keeping. Poe came after that um, and then we had a dark one that's named Vader and then we've got a brown one that we're the kids called him Kylo, then they were calling him Ben, and then he became Kylo Ben, and then he became Kylo Ben Bandit, and now we're talking about Kylo Ben Bandit Bear because they just don't know what name they want to call him. And last but not least, the girl came, and instead of you know looking like her brother and uh, Poe and Finn, we call them triplets because they all look similar, <laughs> she's named Mara. My, I, they didn't go with Ray. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, really? Poe and Finn and Mara? Like, but I mean, I, I'm a Legends fan, so I couldn't gripe too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's right? cute, though. Uh, and the only other thing that we had uh, recently, and I, I, I know, you know, we bounced this off of you too, but I don't think any of the all the Star Wars Report listeners have known on Star Wars Beyond the Films. My co-host Nathan P. Butler has uh, recently retired mm. after 18 years of Star Wars podcasting. Uh, we've replaced him with Jim Lehane. Um, he's a great uh, doctor, Jim Lehane. Even him and Nate have a lot of similar interests and stuff, timelining and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to doing new shows and stuff with him. We're getting back into some legend stories and talking oh. about that stuff. So exciting times are uh, coming for the network. I'm raising a glass uh, to the one NPB. Um, awesome fellow. Well, and um, you guys have a, f a farewell episode, right? Uh, coming up. 
Yeah, we're uh, about to record our feedback episode here. Uh, probably not this weekend, maybe the next weekend. We're trying to give time to get more feedback in for people because we kind of waited for the announcement to go with the po- uh, the podcast. Gotcha. So they put out a post about it like a couple days before we released it to kind of get some of that momentum going. But yeah, we want to give people time to get their stuff in so we can get that done and give them the proper official uh, salute to podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, uh yeah, I can't think of a better way to uh, send us off than uh, GL in the house. I um, I mentioned it when we were doing the segment, but uh, best way I can do this is, is just let it play out. There's this really great... Uh, I, I, it's, I'm trying to remember what event this was at. Uh, oh, it's at the Academy of Achievement. And he, he gives this... He receives like some kind of award... And he and he kind of talks about his inspiration for Star Wars and kind of it's very reflective of him looking back on his career. And in fact, this is right after I want to say, or it was about the same time that he sold the company. So you can kind of tell George is in a very reflective state. And I thought, what better way, based on kind of our conversation today and in his episode, uh, to just uh, send off the show with uh, the maker himself, George Lucas. I actually wrote the story and produced Indiana Jones. I didn't actually direct it. It was that other guy that looks like me. Um, uh, I'll give you two things. Um, One which I've answered a few times here around the table, so I figured I'd share it with everybody, Um, which is, you know, how did I end up where I am? Uh, And um, when I was in high school, I was a consummate underachiever. Uh, I hated school. Uh, I loved to build things. Uh, I loved woodworking. I loved uh, working on cars and engines. Worked in a foreign car service, and all I wanted to do was race cars. Um, Right before graduation, I was in a terrible automobile accident and uh, was almost killed, and as a result of that, sort of sat in a hospital for a long time thinking about my place in the world. Uh, and decided that I would give education another try and uh, took my very bad grades to a junior college and discovered social science, uh, the humanities, Uh, became very infatuated with uh, anthropology and psychology and suddenly found something that I really loved uh, and um, did very well. And then uh, when I graduated and I was about to go on to the last two years of college uh, at uh, San Francisco State to get a degree in anthropology. Uh, My best friend who I'd grown up with since I was four years old uh, said, you know, come with me to to, uh, Stockton. I have to take a test to get into USC and I don't want to do it alone and come on, just take the test with me so I don't have to be there all by myself. So I said, okay. So I went up there and took the test, not thinking that I'd pass. But I did pass, and actually I got accepted at USC, and I said to my friend, uh, well, now what am I going to do? I said, I really like anthropology, and I think I want to do that. And he said, yeah, but you, you wanted to go to Art Center. You really wanted to be an artist, and you know this is your second choice, anthropology. And I did. I wanted to be an, an artist, a photographer. I'd done a lot of photography, and I wanted to be an illustrator. But my father said, there'll be no artists in this family. You know, that's a horrible way to make a living. 
Uh, and if you want to go and be an artist, then you're going to have to pay for it. And he knew me well enough to know that I wasn't about to do that. I will take the route of least resistance. I had sort of picked up my grades, but I was still an, a consummate underachiever. And uh, so he said, well, you know, SC, they've got a, 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 a department there of photography. I said, oh, that sounds good. He said, it's easier than PE. You'll love it. I said, well, okay, maybe I'll do that. So I went down there. And it wasn't a school of photography, it was a school of cinematography. And it wasn't actually a school of cinematography, it was actually a school of cinema where you learn to make movies. And I said, this is insane. You mean you go to a university and you can learn how to make movies? I never heard of such a silly thing. So, uh, and I hadn't really paid much attention to movies when I was young. I sort of watched a little bit of television and stuff. Went and saw Earth versus the Flying Saucers and, you know, Bridge on the River Kwai and a few things like that. But I didn't know anything about movies. Uh, and I got there. My first semester, I had to take a lot of requirements, you know, Spanish, uh, science, that sort of stuff. But I got to take two classes. One was a history of movies. Um, and growing up in a very small town with one movie theater, I hadn't seen a lot of movies. And um, I, we didn't get a television until I was 10. So in those days, one of the main advantages of being in a film school is when you take a history class or something, you actually got to see movies that you couldn't see. It's an amazing thing the world you live in today, you can actually go down to a store and just get any movie that's almost ever been made. And you can see it, and then you can actually have the filmmaker, you know, in the extra bonus disc, tell you how they made it and everything. That's basically what a film school was. Uh, except you were surrounded by a lot of kids that sort of believed the same thing you did. So I got there and I learned about movies, which I really didn't know anything about, in terms of the history of movies, watching really great movies. And I had a production class, Introduction to Animation, uh, where eventually they gave me one minute film and they said, here, run the camera, you know, follow these instructions, move it to the right, move it to the left, move it up, move it down. And so I took that little assignment with my one minute of film and I made a one minute movie out of it. Uh, I took a lot of still photographs and created a collage and a, a whole different way of doing animation and put a soundtrack to it. Uh, my professor was unbelievably uh, impressed with it uh, and uh, it blew everybody away in the film department and they sent it out to festivals and it won like 47 festivals. And I said, wow, I know how to do this. I'm actually pretty good. Matter of fact, I'm better than anybody here. Uh, I love this. You know, this, I wanna do this the rest of my life. And so I was lucky enough to find my path, my passion. Before that, I had passions. You know, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to build cars. I wanted to create things. Um, but, uh, and I liked anthropology. I really wanted, I was very interested in social science, very interested in why we do things, you know, where we came from, uh, all kinds of, you know, mythology. Um, and I realized after a few years, you know, and then I went to film school, made movies, and ended up being where I am. But I realized that I was following on everything I did, I was following something I really cared about, something I loved, something I was passionate about. And I kept following that passion, whether it was cars, whether it was anthropology, uh, whether it was art, um, photography. Um, and eventually it led me to my huge passion, my real passion, which was making movies, which combined all of those things. And I realized that had I gone on to 
get my degree in anthropology, I would have probably made anthropological movies in New Guinea or someplace and eventually been on National Geographic and, you know, the History Channel and uh, been then making features and I'd have done Star Wars just the same. If I'd have gone to Art Center and become an illustrator, I would have probably started doing animation and doing animated films and making animated things and then ultimately I would have gone on and been right where I was. So no matter which route I took, because I cared about all of them, they all led to the same place. Had I done what my father had wished me to do, which is to go into the office equipment business with him, which I knew I wasn't going to do, I knew I hated that, my life would have been unpleasant. And um, so I think it's very important not to do what your um, peers think you should do, not do what your parents think you should do, or your teachers, but to do what you inside, or even your culture thinks, but do what's inside you. And that's the show. That is another episode of the Star Wars Report in the can. Thanks for listening, guys. And um, wise words from the maker himself. Uh, I want to go to film school now. I know, right? <laughs> film school? Who's ever heard of that? Um, no, it's a great... We'll uh, link the full speech. Uh, we didn't have time to play the whole thing, but um, I, I, it was a good chunk of it just because I it's mesmerizing to hear the man reflecting upon what he made and especially right as i'm going through and reading about this process and reading about the inspiration behind star wars it just puts a little bit of a different context on it so um thanks for going along for the ride uh mr mark herleman thanks again as always for uh, being a part of the show uh tell people where they can find you on the internet you know i'm out there as a logical rogue too i'm doing my thing on facebook and uh, i'm even on instagram sharing pictures of puppies uh, lots of pictures of puppies. You can find it there. At Illogical Rogue 2, you can follow me likewise at The Riley Guy, R I L E Y. That's where you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all those places. Having a great time uh, talking all things Star Wars. Instagram's really a place I've been hanging out a lot, so you can follow me there. Follow the show, of course, at Star Wars Report on Twitter. And uh, you can shoot us an email, starsreport at gmail.com. Com. Big shout out and thank you to everybody supporting the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Star Wars Report to get access to our Rogue Transmissions bonus content, as well as our Facebook group, Bothan High Council, all kinds of cool things right there. And uh, and also, of course, shout out uh, Audible, audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report. Get yourself a free copy of uh, The Secret History of Star Wars or any uh, Star Wars book or any book of your choice, audibletrial.com slash uh, Star Wars report. Uh, let's see. What else am I missing? I think uh, I think that's about it, guys. I uh, I'm sad. I could talk Star Wars all day, but you know, sadly, as all good things, this must come to an end. Until next time, guys. I just want to say, may the force be with you. And remember, many Bothans died to bring you this podcast.
I'm uh, Miss Whistler. Oh yeah, Whistler's he's sleeping. Yeah. Wow, he's like you guys went way too long now. <laughs> no, it was uh, it's long long show, but uh, a good one, man. I enjoyed it as always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's too far between.